Welcome to the teaching ministry of Pastor Marcus and Melina De La Cruz. We hope that you'll be blessed by today's message. Thank you, sir. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Well, before you're seated, say this with me. I know God is good. good. Say it like you mean it. I know God is good. And I know His Word is truth. Amen. Not true. Jesus said, Father, Thy Word is truth. Truth. Wow. When I found that scripture as a teenager, that did it for me, Melina. I said, if I can find it in this book, I can take it to the bank. If I can find it in here, I can make it happen. If this is truth, and Jesus said it is. You know, we're living in America today where we don't much believe in absolute truth anymore, but this missionary still believes in absolute truth. Amen. Well, go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. It's an honor and a delight to be here with you tonight. Uh, Pastor Marcus and Melina are very special to my heart. We go back a long, long way. In fact, uh, the last year, the year before, she told me, she said, we go back longer than you think. And I said, we do. And she said, yeah. She said, when you had your Christian school in Tulsa and I was a girl, I went to your school. I said, I did not know that. I said, so we go back a long way. Praise the Lord. So, uh, look like you turned out all right. <laughs> you know, that was just a small school. I took that church over in Tulsa. Now, I'm not a pastor. I'm a missionary. But a pastor died. And uh, uh, the only reason I knew the church even existed is because, uh, and we didn't go to church there. We went to, uh, you know, another church. And, and, of course, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I've told every pastor, I'm the worst church member you'll ever have because I never come to church. Because if I'm doing my job, I'm preaching every Sunday. I'm gone. I'm, I'm around the world. I'm gone somewhere. I'm not, I'm not home. But, uh, but uh our, uh, my, I had four kids, Jackie and I had four kids that, that uh, we had uh, put in uh, Christian school at uh, Buddy Harrison's church, Brother Hagin's son-in-law, and uh, they used the, the, the ACE system, Accelerated Christian Education System, and so we had the kids there. Well, then a year or two later, uh, someone talked Buddy into changing from the ACE system to the Abeka system, which is a great, great, great system, but it's hard to travel with. And ACE is easy to travel with. And if you do, if you do a Becca, then the other system, then they give you so much home uh, assignments like science projects and stuff. We couldn't do on the road and in airplanes and stuff where ACE, my kids could do all over the world and did. And so I started hunting in Tulsa for another school that did ACE. And I found this little church that uh, did ACE. And so I went and talked to the pastor. And he was a Raymond graduate. And he knew who I was. And, and I said, can I put my four kids in your school with a caveat. Uh, and so um, I said that with the caveat is that I do take my kids on trips with me. So I said, I can't, I'm not going to leave them here. I said, they'll go to school when we're in town. I want them to be with other kids and interact with other kids and teachers. But I said, but if I go to India or Africa or here or there, they go with me. So that you have to know that. He said, no, that's not a problem. So, so we got, we did. And then he died. And so they called me and said, uh, they said, Brother Terry said, the pastors died and, and, uh, and we're a little church and we're $40,000 in debt and, and we don't have any assets and we've only got about 40 people, including the kids going to church here. So we're just shutting down. And I said, well, okay, y'all been a blessing to me and I appreciate it and thank you very much and, and God bless you. And God kept me up all night, Sophie, all night long and said, I want you to go over there and help those folks. I want you to pastor that church. I said, I'm not a pastor. I'm a missionary. He said, I know what you are. I made you what you are. And he said, the apostle is the only one that can do the other four. 
you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the apostle here touches the other four. It's the only one that can do that. And he said, Paul pastored for three years. He's an apostle. He pastored for three years. And he said, you go over there and you stabilize them and you help them until you get them another pastor. And I said, I argued and I argued and I argued all, all night long. And I've never won one of those yet. I don't know why I even bother. It's like argue, arguing with my wife. I'm not going to win one of those either. So I don't know why I even bother. And so, uh, and so I took the church. And uh, in fact, I walked in there on the following Sunday and I said, I came by here this week. I said, I know you all about to shut down. I said, and I came by here this week and asked the secretary to give me a copy of your constitution and bylaws. I've never told this in a church ever. I don't know why I'm telling it here tonight, I guess, because you inspired it. I've never, ever told this. And so I said, I've asked for a constitution, your, 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 I mean, copy of your constitution and bylaws. And I took them home and read them. And I said, and frankly, they stink. They're bad. They're really, really bad. I said, it says you have to vote on everything. I said, that's not Bible. Yeah. And uh, I said, so, I said, because you have to vote by your constitution bylaws, you're required. I said, then I'm going to give you one vote. And I said, here's the vote. That you're going to disassemble, dissolve your church. And then I'm going to swallow you into my ministry. And we'll be ecumenical like the snake said to the frog, let me swallow you and we'll be one. <laughs> And I said, if you vote 100%, 100%, then I'll do it. If you don't, then I won't. I'll, I'll walk out and you'll never see me again. And it's fine. That's not going to hurt my feelings. I said, I'm not a pastor. I feel sorry for you if, if you do vote for me. And, and God wants you to stay here because there's some great churches in Tulsa. And I named about five different great pastors in Tulsa. Go to their church. But I said, but, but if anybody stays here, I'm going to have to stay here too because God told me to pastor you and help you. And so they voted 100% to do that. And so we, we took that little old bitty, $40,000 in debt, 40 people including the kids, no assets, no nothing. And God turned that thing into something. And, uh, and, and we, had, uh, we, we got it up to over 300 adults and I don't know how many kids, hundreds of kids. And uh, we had assets and we paid all those bills off. And uh, uh, just just had a great, and the, and the people came to me and said, "Let's change the name of the church. It's got such a bad reputation." And I said, "No, let's let's just change the reputation." Oh, that's good. I said, "The pastor was a Rama student, and I love Brother Hagen." Yeah. And I said, "I believe in Brother Hagen. I believe in Rama. I never went to Rama. He asked me to go the very first year as a charter student with that no charge, just to be an honorary student. And I couldn't because I was in Mexico having miracles. And I said, "Dad, I can't. I'm having miracles. I can't put my hand to the plow and." And look back, I can't come back from the mission fields. And, uh, and so, uh, but I said, I believe in Brother Hagen, I believe in Raymond. I don't want Raymond to have a black eye and a bad name, so let's change the reputation. Yeah. And so we did, God did it, God did it, God did it. And they had this big, huge Christian school uh, convention in Tulsa, at ORU at the Maybe Center, big, big convention of all the Christian schools. I didn't even know what was happening. And uh, they got up, the, this group, whoever they are, the, the Christian school people of America, whoever they were, uh, got up at that convention, Tammy, and they told that whole convention, they said, they said we have checked on all the, we've checked on all the Christian schools in Tulsa, and you know which one the best one is, the best one in all of Tulsa? And everybody said, no. They said, you know the missionary Terry Mize? It's his, it's his school, it's the best one. And I thought, and they came back and told me that, and my jaw dropped because, you know, some of those other, we had about 66, 67 students, some of those others had hundreds of them, and, uh, and there were some good pastors and good churches, you know, but God just blessed us and helped us, and, uh, and so I was there four and a half years, 
and and then turned it over to somebody and then I went on about my business but but you know we had lots of assets and money in the bank and bills paid and lots of people and and God just God just did it and God blessed it so she was one of those successful people one of those and so I didn't even know it here until a year or two ago and she told me about it wow I didn't even realize that so anyway but I'm glad to be here I, again Marcus and Melina are real special and the girls are just uh, special and sweet, and, and uh, I, I preached for y'all here in Porterville a long time ago, years ago. Uh, I don't even remember what building you were in, but we, we did. And then I preached in a couple of churches here in town for for David Brown, and he's passed away now, and Sonia, and then for uh, Isaac and uh, Juanita Nunes, and and so uh, I guess Porterville is pretty special to God. And it's good to see you guys all the way from Fireball. That he invited me the last time we saw each other. said, come to Fireball and preach. I said, I will. We'll have to get it on the calendar and make it happen. And, of course, David and Tammy Shipman are my great dear friends as well. We go back, and uh, I I preach for them, if I sell you, pretty much every year. And and we're about to do a a, a three-day meeting. I thought it was four. I thought it was Sunday through Wednesday. And I saw his advertisement here. It's Sunday through Tuesday. So if you all can get loose Monday night and Tuesday night, we'll come on over. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll have a word from the Lord for you. But anyway, we are glad to be here, delighted to be here, excited to be here. And, uh, you know, you California folks, Renee and I think, are just heroes. Because, be, seriously, y'all are heroes. Because y'all have had such a bad uh, government system, administration, yeah. down on the churches, trying to shut the yeah. churches down, doing all these horrible things. And so uh, when COVID first started, when it first started, in March of, uh, of what, 20? Uh, Renee and I were just about to go into a big convention in, in Florida, and I, I was speaking, Kenneth Copeland speaking, and Jesse, Jesse DePlanis and Jerry Savelle, and, and, uh, and all that thing hit, and so it got canceled. Wow. And so the pastor called me and said, said, well, Brother Copeland's canceled, and Jesse's canceled, and Jerry's canceled, and, and, the, and, the, gov- and the, the city's canceled. We've had to cancel the meeting, but, but would you come anyway? I said, well, sure, I'll come anyway. That's my bread and butter, man. Somebody tell me I can't preach. That's, that's right where I want to go. And uh, I, I've, I've done that all over the world, you know, for 55 years. And so, uh, so we, we, we went anyway. And uh, we just uh, uh, had a tremendous time. But our, our schedule, our calendar, which is normally full of overseas and in, in America, all of a sudden was canceled. The whole, can- the whole calendar was just nothing. So we went home, and we didn't think that was such a bad deal because we're never home. So people ask us all the time. Some ask us this week, so where do y'all like to go for vacation? And we said, home. We like to go home. And so we went home and for about three weeks, and we, we just played. And, man, we got the boat out and went to the lake, and we took the grandkids. And we went fishing and tubing and skiing and had a great time. And I bought me an Instapot, and I, I learned how to cook. And I cooked, every, I cooked everything that didn't, wasn't tied down. I cooked it in the Instapot. And I, I found some I found some sisters on on on, uh, on YouTube that would train you how to cook in an Instapot. <laughs> Tammy, I think they must have been Mormons. You know, you, you, Tammy's a, a Mormon background, and, and, but these girls are from U, from Utah, and and it's called. You may want to watch them. It's called Six S I X Six Sisters. It sounds like you're saying Six Sisters. It's not Six. It's Six, and it's all these these. Sisters, and one in particular, teach how to cook an Instapot. So, man, I just watched them. Me and the sisters cooked every day. I was ordering stuff from Amazon. Everything they said to order, I ordered, you know. And after about three or four weeks of this stuff, 
Renee and I were praying one day, and we looked at each other, and we said, you know, this is ridiculous. <laughs> For over 50 years, I've been preaching all over the world, and now I'm home with the sisters <laughs> cooking in the Instapot. And so Renee said, Renee said, you know what? She said in, in Acts, and we looked up the scripture in Acts 15. She said in Acts, the apostle Paul looked at his preaching buddy one day, Barnabas, and said, uh, you know, let's just go visit our churches, like their partner churches, and see how they be. And uh, she said, we ought to do that. We ought to go visit our partner churches and just see how they be and encourage them and help them and bless them. So we got down the floor and prayed about it for a while. And after two or three days of praying about it around there, we said, all right, that's the deal. So we said, well, where is the church in the most trouble in America? Where, where's the church having the hardest time from the government? We said, it's got to be New York City or the West Coast, one or the other. And so we said, let's, let's do the West Coast. So I just picked up my phone and texted about, what, seven pastors, friends, you know, out here in, in California. You were one of them. And, and, and I just gave them that scripture. I said, Renee and I are done with our Instapot and our fishing and our tubing and our skiing. And, and, we're, we're, and I gave them the scripture and said, I said to my preaching buddy, let's go to our churches and see how they be. And I said, we're not coming for an offering. And we're going to pay our own expenses. We're not going to fly. We're going to drive because we don't trust the airlines. We don't know what they're doing now. And, uh, and, and, and so if we can preach for you in the house, we will. If we can, can't, we'll, we'll preach online for you. And if we can't do that, we'll just take you to dinner and love on you and give you product. We're bringing our product with us. We're just going to give them away to you. And we're going to bless you pastors. And I tell you, within an hour, five had answered me back. and said, come here, come here, come here, come here. And then within the next, what, couple of days, several more had said, come here, come here. So we just jumped in our pickup and drove out here. And uh, we, we just had a great time because you, you, the pastors out here are just heroes. And, uh, and the people, the church people are heroes because you guys have just been beat up on. And uh, I think the day, the final of the day we left California on that first trip, what was that, 62 days or 52 days? 43 days. We've done it twice since, since then. It's been 50 and 60 days. But, but uh, uh, the day we left California, Gavin Newsom shut things down again. And uh, just uh, the, very, the very day we were driving across the state line, we heard on, on, the, on the radio. But uh, I just appreciate you. I salute you for hanging in there and uh, for being here. You, you could be home tonight watching online like a lot of your friends are, but you, you, you are word people, and the word says, forsake not, your, forsake not, forsake not, forsake not, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some do, and even more so as you see the day approaching. Well, I believe the day is not just approaching. I believe it's here. So... Uh, uh, I, I encourage people. In fact, if you're watching this online tonight, I'm begging you to come back to church. Because there's just nothing like that corporate anointing, corporate praise and worship, corporate prayer, corporate faith, where we all get together and, and get our faith and our worship and everything together because we're stronger and better together. So God tells us a threefold cord is hardly broken. You know, the, you know, the world has come up with this word. They think it's a new word. It's not. They've come up with this word called synergy. And you, you probably heard it. Uh, and, and synergy, if you look it up in the dictionary, just to what the world says about it, uh, the dictionary says that synergy is where you have a force and you take an equal force and put with it, 
but instead of it now being worth two forces, it's worth more than that. And the, and the example the dictionary gives is this. It says if you have an ox cart and you hook one oxen up to it, then you got one ox power. And if you hook a second oxen up to it, instead of having two ox power like you think you would, synergy says you now have three ox power. So two, so math says one plus one is two. Synergy says one plus one is three. But God, thousands of years ago, said one can put a thousand to flight. And two can put 10,000. So with God, one plus one is 10,000. I tell, I tell Renee all the time, tell Renee all the time, I'm worth 10,000, I'm worth 9,000 to you, and you're worth 9,000 to me, because by myself, I can put 1,000 to fly, you join with me, we can put 10. By yourself, you can put 1,000 to fly, I join with you, we can put 10. So God's synergy is that when we get together, we're a pretty powerful force. So no wonder the devil wants you to stay home and watch on TV. Few months back there in Tulsa, I had the lady that's done my hair forever. She's sitting there cutting on me, and, and uh, she said, "Oh, brother Terry, I'm sure enjoying this watching church online. I, I just really am enjoying that." And I said, "Oh, you are, huh?" She said, "Yeah." She said, "It's just so great." She said, "You know, I watch church every Sunday online, and I, I get my vacuuming done, my dishes done. I just get all this stuff." And I said, "Wait, time out, time out, stop." Now she did have scissors in her hand, so I didn't get real smart Ellis with her. I said, "But you're not listening." She said, well, of course I'm listening. I said, no, you're not. I said, you can't listen. You, you're not focused. You, you're not sitting there with your Bible and your notepad and locked in. I said, you're hearing it in the background. But then the kids say something or the, you know, or the, you turn the dishwasher on or you're doing the dishes, you're doing the vacuum. You're, and you're, miss, you're, not, you're not getting what you'd get if you were there in person. So I said, you need to get back in church. And that's what, that's what the Holy Ghost said to the writer of Hebrews 2,000 years ago. Nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. Some people think the Apostle Paul did, and that's okay with me. I don't have a problem with it. When we get to heaven, I'm just going to ask him. I'm just going to say, hey, did you write Hebrews? And if he says yes, I'll say, good, good job. And if he says, no, that guy over there did, then I'll go talk to that guy, you know. But, uh, but whoever wrote Hebrews, the Bible says that, that all this, all of it, is given by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost wrote this. This is God's Word. So 2,000 years ago, when the writer of Hebrews was writing, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit looked over his shoulder and looked 2,000 years into the future and saw COVID and saw what the church was going to go through and saw how the, the government was going to shut the churches down. And so he said to that guy, he said, hey, write this. In chapter 10 and verse 25, he said, forsake not. The assembling of yourselves together, as some do, and even more so as you see the day approaching. Y'all take it from an old missionary that's been to most of the most of the communist countries in the world. I've been to all of them, but I've been to most of them. And I hate communism. I, I despise it. I despise it. Now most Americans don't understand communism, and some people don't know what's wrong with it. But I've been there, done that. I know it inside, outside, backwards. I. I've talked to communist leaders. I've been in their offices. I've talked to heads of state. I've even thrown one or two up against the wall. Uh, and had to, My guys had to drag me off of them because they make me mad. I don't like communism. And by extension, I don't like communist. And I, it, it's a devilish, demonic system. And, um, and, and, and something that I know that Americans don't seem to understand because I've been to these places for 55 years is that, Marcus, you, you cannot have a communist country can't. It's impossible. If you have a strong church. That's right. 
and if you have a strong middle class, if you have mom and pop stores. So the first thing every country that goes communist or tries to go communist, the first thing they do is attack the church and attack the mom and pop stores. In Michigan, in, in 2021, in Michigan, which is one of the hardest states hit besides California, the government, that evil woman, uh, they, they lost 60,000, 60,000 in one year, mom and pop stores that'll never ever come back. And you know, they think we're stupid because they tell you, uh, you can shop at Walmart, you can shop at Costco, you can shop at Sam's. You can shop at Home Depot, you can shop at, at Lowe's, but if you go to church, you'll die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you go to a mom and pop store, you'll die. Don't you go to the taco, to, the taco stand of taqueria. Uh, yeah. No, you'll die, you'll die, you'll die, you'll die. Yeah. And it's like, do they just think we're stupid? Yeah. For about a year and a half of COVID, I said, they think we're stupid. In the last year and a half, Sophie, I've said, I think we're stupid. Yeah. <laughs> why, are we, why are we doing this? See, the church has never taken a back seat. The church has never sat down and shut up. Renee and I are firm believers in the church needs to be fierce. As fierce as an Old Testament warrior. Now just during the normal day, you just need to be a nice little New Testament believer. With all the love and grace and, 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 and meekness and gentleness and kindness and love. I mean, all those fruit of the Spirit. You just need to be a nice little New Testament believer. Just yeah. loving everybody and got, you know, hey, the sky's blue, the grass is green, the birds are singing, everything's wonderful. Praise the Lord and pass the mashed potatoes. <laughs> but when the devil sticks his head up, on, then you turn into an Old Testament fierce, fierce, Warrior, and Nehemiah says they when they built the wall that they had the, a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other. They were ready to take the enemy's head off if he messed with them. The Bible said when they came to see David, it said they had they had faces like like the faces of lions. See the church, the church needs to quit being soft. You know they're down on men. They say masculine toxicity. Can you imagine? Can you imagine on D-Day with all those 18, 19, 20-year-olds that went over and died on the beaches? On those five beaches? <laughs> what if they were soft? What if they took a knee? And I'm not talking about you have to be some loud, crude, rude man. But I'm talking about not being soft, not being soft spiritually. You don't back down from the devil. You don't back down from an enemy. Amen. You know, my parents taught me. I taught my kids. I've taught my grandkids. You know how to deal with a bully? You bust him in the mouth. Bullies on the, a bully on the schoolyard come out there bullying somebody. First thing you do is bust him in the mouth, and that'll put an end to that. And that's the way you have to do You have to be fierce. And the church needs to be the most fierce. Yes. And again, I'm not talking about being violent or being weird or being loud and crude and, you know, spitting and scratching and saying, I'm a man. No, I'm talking about you be a man, a woman of God to where you're in authority. You're in dominion. Amen. You're in charge. Are you here? Renee, come on up and greet the people and bless the people. And... Uh,
leave me a little bit of time to preach. You going to play? Oh, so when they're there, I thought maybe she's going to help you play. Thank, Thank you. you. Hallelujah. Um, you know, we say, uh, tell them what the word hallelujah means. I said that in kind of in a church. You know, we way. all just say hallelujah to the Lord all the time, and I, th I don't think God minds that. I think he's cool with it. But hallelujah is a word that was never, never intended to be used to God. We do it, and I don't think he minds at all. I do it all the time, too. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But it was a, it's a word that was never intended for you to use to God. It was intended for you to use to your enemies because it, hallelujah, means behold the strength of my God. So when hell comes at you, you say, hallelujah. Behold the strength of my God. Behold the blood of Jesus. Isn't that cool? Behold the name of Jesus. Behold the word of God. Behold the angels that are about to take your head off. <laughs> That's right. And again, I'm not telling you, don't say hallelujah to God. I still do it myself. But it's just, it's just, and I'm sure he doesn't mind. But yet it's a much stronger word than we ever gave it credit for. Amen. The devil sticks his head up and you just say, hallelujah. Look at the strength of my God. That's right. You want to mess with me, you want to have to deal with him. Amen. Let me see, you got something to say? Oh, yeah. No. Okay. We're trying to figure out how to preach 24 hours a day. Oh, yeah. That would be good. We're trying to figure out how to get the Word of God out as fast as we can yes. into the hands of the church to support what the, the pastors are doing and, and fill the people up with courage, know their dominion, and never back down again. Amen. Never have Terry. Terry has said this over and over. We're having a T-shirt made. Uh, in fact, I I put a fire under them all yesterday, and I said I want it done this week. Uh, fear and faith cannot live in the same house. And the value of the local church, as Terry was saying, is that corporate anointing. Just like Peter said. Over there in First Peter chapter one, he said, "He said if husbands and wives will get the strife out, uh, their prayers will be answered. If they don't get the strife out, their prayers will be hindered." And so that twofold cord of what the Old Testament teaches is that one will put a thousand and two will put ten thousand to flight, but and a threefold cord is not easily broken. And and the way I see that the threefold cord to me is you as a person, the local church and God. Yeah. <laughs> when you That's get an those deal. when you get those three entities moving together, the enemy cannot stop a church that is in line with the power of God and the people of God. This side of the pulpit and that side of the pulpit, we all working together as two. We're one, one of us could put 10,000 to flight, but two of us, I mean, one of us can put 1,000, two of us or 50 of us or 150 of us can put thousands to flight. Our power in prayer becomes not just you know uh, synergy or exponentially but it, it becomes so supernatural that the enemy cannot cannot withstand it everybody say the supernatural see the supernatural and the miraculous cannot 
be stopped when the people are in agreement and they are praying together in one mind and one accord. And that's the value of the corporate anointing. What you can't get at home done, you can come to church and get people to agree with you, and it will be done. Amen. You know, because the enemy will withstand you as an individual, because uh, unless you have built... Terry preached this great message uh, years ago when we our families first met, and it was called, Who in Hell Are You? Yeah. And are you making headlines in hell? And that's how many of you want your prayers to get answered? I want hell to know me on a first name basis. Just like Terry has been preaching recently, I want the I want the the, the teller at the bank of heaven to know me by first name, you know? And and the supernatural. Everybody say the supernatural. supernatural. The supernatural power of God is just at the fingertips of the church that'll realize their power of dominion that God gave Adam and Eve has now been transferred through the blood of Jesus to the Gentile and Jewish church that yes. will take yes. it. Amen? I mean, that is, that's, that nobody, you know, and one thing that's, uh, everything about communism is exact opposite over in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God said, whosoever will, in communism, it's only a few. And those, and they're the ones at the top. And, and Jesus says, you can have whatsoever you desire, whosoever can have whatsoever, anytime you want, however much you want, you know? And where everything in the kingdom of darkness and communism is that they take everything from everybody and give it to a few, and then you're, you're left with nothing, you know? And uh, they, put, they just put such fences around the, the resources that are here in the earth. And that's why... Communist governments want to do all of that to the people of God. And we're, we have been up to this point, maybe like the frog in the boiling water, you know. They've just turned it up a little bit at a time over the last three or four years. But it's happened very quickly. And we have to stay. Hold the phone. We're getting out of the pot. You know, we're not doing this anymore. And I, Terry referred to this, so I'll just say this and, and let you look at it. First Chronicles chapter 12 is how I built, my husband and I built our church there in Corpus Christi. Terry and Jackie um, came there and preached for us, I guess, long about 19, oh gosh, we met in 1974. And then Dean and I went there for the first time in 1976 and then moved there in 1978 in Corpus Christi to begin the church. And, the, and the, other than having the, the building dedicated by Pastor John Osteen, the, the first guy we had come in was Terry and Jackie Mize. They came in. And he preached this message about, you know, you've got to make headlines in hell. Otherwise, you just have, are making religious prayers, and you're, just, you're not seeing answers to your prayers. But for, I, one day I was, I was so concerned about not having the right people help us, you know, in the church, like with the sound or the, you know, ushers. or are better since you came up here in Sudan. <laughs> we, didn't have, we didn't have ushers. We didn't have people to work in the nursery. We didn't have children's church workers. We didn't have, we didn't have people that under, understood how to even run church because we had, we had people that had been in church before, but probably half of our congregation at most, all through those years, 38 years of pastoring, uh, half of my church at least was Catholic. So they had, Corpus Christi was 75% Catholic. So they did not only not have the word, they didn't know how to, how to run a Holy Ghost church, you know? But they were willing. Oh my goodness, the attitudes were so 
so gloriously good and kind. And so we learned that. But I was in the I was in the nasty old tape room. We hadn't changed the carpet in, and I got down on my on my stomach and was just playing in the Word. And I found this chapter, Pastor Marcus, found this chapter, and it was like when I got through reading it, I went, Oh my gosh, that's Holy Ghost elders and deacons, New Testament. That's New Testament. But these these men that came, it says these are they who came to Ziklag to make David king. And, it's, and it talks about how there, there were so many from each tribe, and they each had a skill set of what, what they, uh, each of them had a skill set from the tribe that they came to, came out of. And, and it lists their skill set. And one of the most amazing things that it says about one of the tribes here is that they knew how to set the battle in array. They were, strate- they were strategists. They, and they knew how to... Uh, tell these soldiers go over on the east side and these soldiers go back here in the back you that are swordsmen stay up here you that have spears know how to shoot and then another tribe it says they knew how the sling stones with the right hand and the left hand i mean that's that's their weapons is slingshots the other tribe knew how to shoot bows and arrows with the right hand and the left hand these were ambidextrous men that had practiced their skill set to where they were so prolific at it that they knew how to do what Israel wanted them to do. And then I think that one of the most fascinating ones is out of the tribe of, let me find out, I didn't look at it before I, uh, out of the tribe of verse 32, it says, and of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, 200 chiefs and all of their kinsmen were under their command. Now, out of the tribe of Issachar, there were another 100,000 or so that came with them. But the 200 that they sent, uh, what I always felt like were the people that were, uh, they would be in today's uh, dynamic, they would be your tech people. They would be your real estate, your banking people. They would be your people that knew how to manage and they knew how to deal with advertising and technology, and they knew how to deal with all of that. And then it goes, I mean, there's so much in here. I, I literally, uh, I started praying. I started praying, Melina, that God would bring in every one of these kinds of people into our church. He knew what we needed. And then that verse Terry referred to, that they had faces like the faces of lions. I always thought it says they were men. Uh, verse 8, of the Gadites, everybody say the Gadites. Yeah. Of the Gadites, there went over to David to the stronghold in the wilderness, men of might, men trained for war, who could handle the shield and the spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and they were swift as gazelles on the mountains. These were people, you know, back in that day, they had to be in shape, <laughs> you know, and they said everybody through COVID gained at least 15 pounds, you know. And, and that's what the enemy wants you to be. He wants you to be sedentary. He wants you to be lethargic. He wants you to be just catatonic with fear. And you have to be the people of God that get out of that. You have to lead the pack. There has to be a fierceness like Terry was saying. There must be courage back in the church. There must, you must be a courageous people. All of you young men, all of you young adults that are in here, well, there are wicked men planning right now to get our young men into a third world war. They're going to do everything they can to take our young men and put them into a World War III dynamic. And we've got to be people of God. We cannot be cringingly cowards. 
we're going to have to be, if I'm going to go to battle, I'm going to kill everything in sight that's trying to take, take me out. You know, I mean, there's a fierceness that you learn from Old Testament people that they were in a fight and Israel is in the same fight today just to, just to be a nation. When you see the young adults in Israel, when you graduate from high school, the girls have to go into the military for a year and the men, go, young boys go into for two years. And I'm telling you, we can't have, we can't have fear and, and, and wondering if we're a boy or a girl in the church and people are so conflicted and depressed and oppressed from all that garbage. And you and I, are got, we've got to stand up and say, hold the phone. We're not having any more of this garbage put into our children. We're going to raise up mighty men and women of valor. They took out economics out of school. I mean, they took out home economics where the girls don't learn to cook and sew and do all these things. Then they took out shop where they don't learn to build anything or repair anything or work on cars or work on build anything. And then they've just left us with just being dumb bunnies with technology to sit at home and gain 25 to 50 pounds while we're playing with technology. When these people were out here working hard every day in the field. And we act like we're just so cowardly and, and timid and, and just, we, you know, we're, we just cry if somebody doesn't even notice us or somebody, somebody offends us or somebody, they didn't notice, nobody complimented me on my dress, you know, or my baby got bit in the nursery, you know. I mean, I just said, bite them back. You know, that's the only thing I... My little girl, we left about Abigail. My little girl was, uh, was, the, the, was the biter, and the pastor's child was the biter in the nursery. And they got to where the little kids in there called her the chomper. <laughs> and, and we just laughed and we said, bite her back, she'll quit, you know, after a while. Uh, you know, we act like we're, people leave the church over the most asinine things that there ever could be. But if you were trained for war, you would be tougher and you would not put up with that kind of intimidation. You would be of sound mind. You would know how to fight the battle. And I encourage you, pastors, read this if you haven't read it in a while. Go back and read it in the Amplified. Begin to apply it to the New Testament church. See what God's trying to do to help us from Old Testament to New Testament. We must have the fierceness of an Old Testament warrior. Well, here it is right here laid out for you. Here it is right here. You don't have to wonder what it is. And then you can come along here. I mean, we have compassion on you. We're not here to impress you. We're here to wash your feet with the Word of God tonight. My goodness. We're not here to get on TV or do all that, which we do have a TV. Uh, we have a wonderful TV show. <laughs> we do. On YouTube. It's called Terry Mize Ministries Program on YouTube. And if you'll just get out there and, and listen to us and, you know, take what your pastor's got. Anybody that's worth their salt in the ministry right now is trying to feed the flock of God to prop you back up. That Job said over there, he said, your words have set men on their feet. I mean, we want to set you on your feet and get you back out there doing the work of the ministry so that you're not intimidated by hell. And even your own goofy, immature emotions. I'm, oh my goodness, we have an entire country. Half of the country is immature emotionally. And then half the church, that it, it isn't, half of them are on the line. You know, I mean, we've got to be stronger and more sane and tougher than we have ever been. And stop be, being these milk toast. Fear-ridden, you know, easily offended, arguing about doctrine, 
You know, I think I think if you're all, if you're still gossiping, you're still arguing about money, you know, and you're still easily offended, I don't even know if you're a Christian. But I mean, you read a chapter like this, you read a chapter like this, you'll go home and slap your own self. <laughs> what was that? What was that? You always told that was so funny about the 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 little rascals, the guy in the bank. He went in there and they were trying to. He said, and the banker told the little rascals that, that if you were my kids, I'd, I'd spank you. And he said, little rascal, the, the little kid said, if, if you, I was your kid, I'd spank myself. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I think sometimes we need to spank ourselves. We just need to go in there and just, and just realize we have been absolutely sidetracked by the stupidity of our own soul, by the li- just being lazy, just being easily offended, immature very emotionally immature church to where people were so compromising they were willing to let the government tell you what to do and uh you know we have compassion we have we you know we can but the thing is you have to be able to hold two thoughts in your head at the same time you have to be kind and caring and considerate and respectful and show honor and on the other hand we take no prisoners I mean, it has to be like that. And you have to be mature enough to know and, and, and no prayed up in the Spirit of God to know how to do that. So your flesh doesn't deceive you into being arrogant, rude, com, you know, dictatorial, condescending to people. That's not who we are. We're talking about, like Terry said, we're going to be mean to hell. We're going to take authority. of You may be a bad person, but we're taking authority on the Spirit that's standing behind you trying to control you and attack us. So we have to see things in the realm of the spirit and do that. So I want to encourage you with that word tonight to realize that what this missionary has done, uh, I've known him now for almost 50 years, uh, it'll be 50 years next year, that what Terry has done for 55 years out on the mission field, can you believe God has supplied every airplane ticket, every meal, every hotel, has met every need for every pastor's conference, for everything that he's ever done for 55 years, you know? I mean, we're alive to tell about it, <laughs> you know? I mean, we're, we're in our 70s, and we're alive to tell about it and realize that God does not re- stop just because there's something going on in the country, just because the government loses their ever-loving mind, just because, just because maybe even a church goes through a, a horrific thing. I mean, that doesn't change the Word of God. That changes nothing. That changes nothing. And you and I have to be just militant about it to the point to where we do not allow the enemy any... Uh, give no place to the devil. <laughs> I mean, and that means in me. That means in me. I'm not talking about Sister Tutti Fruity. I'm talking about me. I can't give any place to the devil. I can't allow the foolishness. Everybody say foolishness. The foolishness that the enemy would try to take us captive with by being distracted by our own lives emotionally. And I tell you, emotional maturity is, is what will help you grow up and be bold and be strong and not be intimidated by a pain in your body or what the bank account says or what's on either side of the decimal point or not. I mean, the clock, the calendar, the decimal points will not intimidate you. Amen? So anyway, uh, uh, you know, Terry wants to preach. So, uh, you know, he's the, he's the guy. And uh, we're just going to let him carry on here. 
Thank you very much. I just sort of spread out all phone. over this. Thank you. So God bless you all. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, stand up with me if you would, please. <clears throat> you know, Marcus mentioned uh, my wife Jackie, and then and I said something about I've been married twice, and then she said something. So for the, those of you that don't know us, in case you think we just discarded two other people and started over, Jackie and I were married 44 years, and uh, Dean and Renee were married 44 years, and we met, as she said, actually November it'll be 50 years, uh, Jackie and I were missionaries down in Mexico, and, and uh, they were on staff with Brother John Osteen at Lakewood Church. Renee was the organist, and Dean was the associate. And uh, so Brother Osteen always had a, a Thanksgiving con missionary convention in those days, and so I spent many a Thanksgiving, Sophie, at, at Lakewood Church in Houston. And uh, so we came up, and, and uh, most of y'all know my hitchhiker story, where I picked up a hitchhiker in Mexico, and he pulled a gun on me, and, and he said, I'm going to kill you, and I said, you can't kill me. I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus, and he shot at me five times this close and the bush didn't hit me well that had just happened and so brother Osteen called me up and asked me to tell it so when I did then Dean and Renee came up to me after service and that's where we met and so we just because they were word of faith and we were word of faith and and brother Osteen wasn't at that time he was later and the church wasn't but we were we recognized kindred spirits you know and I used a few little phrases that you Raymond folks would understand or you Copeland folks would understand. During my testimony, I had said I'd use the phrase the integrity of the Word of God, and that perked their ears up. They thought, that's a word of faith statement. Yeah. And then I said something about making a quality decision. They, that perked yeah. their ears up. And so as soon as we met after church, they said, we know who you've been listening to. So we, we became fast friends that day, and, and that never ended. And then Dean and I were best friends for 40 years and hunting buddies and fishing buddies. And uh, they pastored a great church in Corpus Christi, Texas, and Jackie and I were missionaries, and they supported us, and we came in two or three times a year and preached for them. And then Dean passed away. He, he was ill for about 10 years and passed away. And then the very next year, Jackie went to heaven, and she wasn't even sick. Wasn't anything wrong with her. She just went to bed one night in Tulsa and woke up in heaven. So Brother Copeland always tells me she left me for a better man, you know, Jesus. So, and and I, I, I agree. She, I, I guess that's true, but I don't know what Dean's problem was. He's left. But anyway... Uh, so they left us lemons, so we just got married and made lemonade. So, so, so we've been married almost nine years uh, in September, and uh, I highly recommend marrying somebody you've known for at that time for 40 years, now 50 years, because there's no surprises. You know, we went out on one dinner, uh, one dinner date. I said, how would you like to go out to dinner with me tomorrow night? And so we went, and we sat there and looked at each other across the table at a red lobster, and I said, this, I said, this is weird. I said, we've had thousands of meals together in 40 years, but never alone. It's the first time ever alone. And I said, you know, dating is to get to know somebody. I, I, we already know each other for 40 years. I said, what am I going to do? Ask you what kind of food you like. I know that. And ask you if you have any kids. I help raise your kids. You help raise my kids. Uh, ask you what kind of movies you like. I know that. I said, let's just get married. She said, okay. And so, so you know, that was, that was the name of that story. So we've been married now for almost nine years, and it's been a lot of fun, and we're doing all we can to, to credit the kingdom of heaven and damage the kingdom of darkness and rescue people from hell. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this great church with a great pastor, with a great congregation, with a great God, with a great vision to get the gospel to the world, to help people, to lift people, to love people, to care, to share to love, to embrace, to minister. Thank you for these other pastors that are here tonight. Bless them, Father. Thank you they'd take time off from a busy schedule and come uh, to service. And thank you for these Friday night Christians. 
Lord, you don't have too many Friday night Christians anymore, but you sure like them when you can get them. And so I honor them from being out here on a Friday night. I believe you to bless them. They'll not be disappointed. They'll not be sorry when they go home. And I thank you for ministering to us by the Holy Ghost tonight. I thank you for speaking to us, lifting our head, causing faith to rise up in our heart, cause us to leave here tonight saying, Surely the Lord, not Terry Mize, but the Lord has ministered to us. And we'll leave here tonight with our head up and our shoulders back, not scared of nothing or nobody, no demon, no devil. We're not in fear. Fear and faith cannot live in the same house. And Father, that we leave here realizing we're bigger than we thought we were, that we're better than we thought we were, and that we can do more than we thought we could do. We're not just mere men. We're not like our neighbors and the folks across the street and the folks we work with. They, they're just mere men and live by the beggarly elements of this world. We don't. We live for that other world. We're citizens of heaven. We think different, talk different, act different. And Father, we get different results. In fact, we get results. And I thank you for it and give you glory and honor and praise. Bless all of these pastors, all of these churches, all of these folks in the name of Jesus and have your way and your will in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. What if, what if all those people hadn't come to King David? He had 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, and they all came to him, all 12. You know, one tribe, she said, sent a couple of hundred thousand. You know, and then this one sent thousands, the other one sent thousands, the other one sent thousands. Uh, you know, it, it'd be pretty easy to get something done with that kind of help. Yeah. Amen? Right. So what if these pastors had that kind of help? You know, when Joel Osteen took over Lakewood Church when John died, John was my dear friend and Renee's dear friend. And, uh, and then, you know, Joel, we've known him since he's in diapers. Renee used to babysit him. And, and, and he's a good guy. But, but when he took over the church, when John put him in charge of the church, he'd never preached a sermon in his life. But there was $40 million in the bank. I think I could pastor with $40 million in the bank. You know, so he was able to do some stuff. He had thousands of people that his daddy brought in. He had a church his daddy built. He had $40 million in the bank that his daddy put in there. And so it wasn't too hard for him to go on and ride that horse. What could these guys do? See, what could these guys do with some, with some, they don't need, they don't need 200,000, but just a few. You know, I, I used to tell my church when I was pastor for those few years, I, I said, I'm just like the Marine Corps. I just want, I don't want everybody in town. I just want a few good men. I just want a few good ones. In fact, I used to tell them, I say, if you're flaky, there's good churches in Tulsa you need to go to. Because they've got militant ushers that can deal with you. I don't have time to mess with you. I need good people, militant, military-minded, disciplined warriors that we can get something done. But I'm not going to babysit you. If you're flaky, go somewhere else. One day, David, I said, if you're flaky in here, don't, don't sit in my pew and don't breathe my air. I tell you because I was in Tulsa and all those folks that came to my church a lot of them were Rhema students a lot of them were ORU students a lot of them were VBI students a lot of them were students from different places from different towns around the country so when I let church out that day they all went back to their homes and called their folks and their pastors and said guess what pastor said today he said if you're flaky don't breathe my air and don't sit in my pew so I, I mean for months I had pastors call me up and say did you really say that I said I did 
And they said, we wish we could say that. <laughs> I said, well, just say it. I said, it's because I don't care. I said, you know, I'm, 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 I'll go do something else. I used to tell the people, Marcus, I said, if y'all all want to go somewhere else, I don't blame you. There's better pastors than me. I'm just a missionary. But you got Buddy Harrison, and you got, you got Billy Joe Darty, and you got Bob Yandy, and you got Willie George. And you got some good pastors in this town, David Ingalls. I mean, friends of mine, good men of God. I said, go to their church. And I said, if y'all would just all leave, then I'd leave. <laughs> but if one of you come, God told me I had to stay here and pastor. So either all of you leave or none of you leave. Either all come help me or I'll leave. And I don't care which. Because I've got things to do. And you know, we just had a lot of fun at church. But what if these guys, these, what if these men and women had that kind of help? What if you came to them and said, you know, you know, Renee's father-in-law, Dean's dad, I knew him very well. Dean's dad and another gentleman, Dean's dad's name was Bill Dearman, and, and, and the other gentleman's name was Curtis Bell. They were both Brother Osteen's deacons in the Baptist church when Brother Osteen pastored the Baptist church, uh, Hibbard Memorial Baptist Church in Houston. Well, pastor got to messing around with, this, with mom and dad Goodman over the Assembly of God church. And when you get to slipping around, messing around the riverbank, you slide in. And so he got, the Goodmans got Brother Osteen filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, when he got filled with the Holy Ghost, Brother Dearman and Brother Bell came to him and said, Pastor, something's weird about you. What would you do? Oh, no, no, everything's fine. No, you something different about you. You preaching different. You acting different. What would you do? Did you go over there and get the Holy Ghost? Well, yeah. Are you talking in tongues now? Yeah. So they got filled with the Holy Ghost. And when they got filled with the Holy Ghost, and by Brother Osteen's own admission, he said, we got the left foot of fellowship. We, we got invited to leave. That's not really true. Brother Osteen said that because it was funny. But he actually, he actually had the church vote. And he said, you know, uh, I've gotten filled with the Holy Ghost. And a couple of these gentlemen, my deacons, have got filled with the Holy Ghost. So that's not fair to y'all if you don't like it. Because you, you're here in this Baptist church and you may not like it. He said, so I'm going to give you a chance to vote. And if you want me to stay, I'll stay. If you want me to go, I'll go. No hard feelings. He said, but it's got to be 100%. He said, because I'm not going to stay if just 90%, because most of them want him to stay. And he said, I'm just not going to stay if most of you won't, because there's just a few that don't want it. He said, I don't want to make you miserable, so I'll just leave and do something else. And so they voted, and it was, a, it was just, a, just a few that voted no, just a few, just a few. And Brother Osteen got up and said, well, no, it wasn't 100%, so I'm going to leave, and I love you. It's no hard feelings. And so when he left, and Brother Dearman, her father-in-law, Dean's dad, and Brother Bell left with him. And they went over to North Houston to an old, yeah, that right down the street to an old Perina food chow, old Perina feed building to, where you buy horse feed and cow feed and, you know, stuff like that. And so they, they took that old building, their brother Olsen always called the feed barn. He said, we just bought a feed barn. So we just kept feeding and so when they got, they, begin, they built Lakewood Church, which is now, of course, the biggest church in the country, uh, from there. And I said all that to say this. When those two men died, Curtis Bell died, and then later Bill Dearman died. And, of course, I, we went to the funerals. And, uh, and I went with Dean and Renee to, you know, Dean, this is Dean's dad. And we went. And of course, I had known Brother Bill forever. And, uh, when, and I'd seen Brother Osteen preach many a sermon, many a funeral. And he was a master. Brother Osteen was a master of the pulpit. Y'all ought to go. If y'all never heard Brother Osteen preach, go, go pull up. Just pull up John Osteen's sermons. I tell you, 
You can't go wrong listening to Kenneth Hagin or John Osteen. I mean, that'll, that'll ring your bell. And it'll put you on the right track. And so, but, but I'd seen him preach a lot of funerals, and he was, he was good at it. But that day with Bill's funeral, he, he didn't do it well. He, he, he just broke down several times and just cried and blubbered and like a baby. And then he made this statement. Bill's casket's right there, and he's up here on the platform, thousands of people there. And Brother Osteen said, this man served me faithfully for 32 years. How'd you like your pastor to say that at your funeral? They served me faithfully for 32 years. He said, I can mark on the calendar the day that Lakewood Church became a success. It was the day that Bill Dearman and Curtis Bell came to me and said, Pastor, you pastor this place and we'll back you. He said, that was the day Lakewood Church became a success. He said, they didn't always agree. I'd say something they didn't like, or I'd make an a, 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 a office thing they didn't like, or I'd preach something they didn't like. He said, man, they'd come in my office, and we'd shut the door and fight. He said, but when that door opened, I was pastor, and they backed me. Don't you, don't you wish, don't you? You know, you could be, you could be those guys. You could be those women. You could be the person that at your funeral, your pastor stands up and says, this person served me faithfully all these years, and I can mark the, day, the date on the calendar, the day the church became a success. See, that's up to you. That's not up to your pastor. That's up to you to decide, I'm going to be pastor's number one helper. I'm going to be the armor bearer. I'm going to carry the sword. I'm going to, I'm going to keep the bad guys away. I'm going to... Amen? 2 Kings chapter 6. Y'all want to hear some word tonight? The longest I've ever preached in one service is ten and a half hours. So, so... Usually if I see three people asleep on the same row, I quit. So I'm, 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 I'm watching. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 1. This is the sons of the prophets. In other words, the Bible school students. The sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Elisha's a prophet, Behold now, the place where we dwell with you is too straight for us. In other words, this place is too small. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, the Jordan River, and take thence every man a beam. In other words, let's cut down some wood, let's cut down some lumber, and build a new place. All right? I'm putting it in Californian. Let's go, we pray thee to Jordan, take thence every man a beam, let us make a place there where we may dwell, where we can live. And the prophet said, go ye, go ahead, help yourself. And uh, so one of them said to him, said, well, be content, sir. I pray thee to go with us, go with your servants. And he answered and said, all right, I will, I'll go. So they all grabbed their axes and they all went down to the Jordan River. And as they were cutting down the trees, when they came to the Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam or cutting a tree, the axe head went over into the water, into the Jordan River. Now, I don't know if y'all have ever cut wood. I've cut a lot of wood, and I've been in the jungle and had to build houses and huts and all kind of stuff. And, and uh, boy, I tell you, when I was in Panama, I was an 18-year-old kid living with a jungle tribe that didn't wear clothes. And I was out in the jungle and had to cut down some lumber to, to build a hut for the chief. There were some trees down there that I don't know what the real honest to goodness name of them are. I called them ironwood because when you hit those trees, it hurt. 
I mean, they were so hard, Marlene. I mean, you'd hit that tree, and it just it it vibrate all up the axe, all into your hands, all in the elbows, up in your shoulders. It just hurt. It was hard wood. And uh, axes, if you go buy one down here at Lowe's or Home Depot or Walmart or whatever, you know, at, at the top of the handle, they're flared out like this, so the axe head doesn't slide off the end. But evidently, they weren't back in those days. So when this guy hit that tree, the axe head came off and went out in the Jordan River. Okay? Now, when it went in the Jordan River as an iron axe head, what happened to it? it? Sunk. And it sunk to the bottom and in the muck, down buried in the muck. We know what happened to it. Now, the guy that did it, it says that as he, as he was fell in a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, I think this is just amazing to me. He cried and said to the prophet, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. Melina, I can't even imagine that God would go to the man of God over an axe head. Most people wouldn't do that. Most people, when they lose something, they wouldn't run to the man of God and say, hey, do something about this. They'd just go down to Walmart and buy them another one. They don't thank God. See, we ought to thank God first. We ought to thank prayer first. When I was a very young man and I was learning to fly airplanes, I had two or three dear friends of mine who also were Christian or ministers and flew airplanes. And they came to me and they said, Now, Terry, we know you're a word guy. We know you're a faith guy. But we're telling you now, you're learning to fly airplanes. You need to remember there's things going to be happening. And, and you need to be a pilot first and a faith guy and a word guy later. I said, Oh, no, that's not going to work for me. I said, I'm going to be a word guy and a faith guy first. And I'll still learn to fly the plane. But I'm not going to kick God out. I'm going to call, I'm going to call God. If anything goes wrong, he's the first one I'm going to holler help to. Amen. 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 Now, I'm not going to be stupid. I'm not going to fly stupid. But, but if I get in trouble, God's the first person I'm going to look to. Amen. And that's what this guy did. I mean, when that axe head went in the water, he just turned to the man of God and said, Alas, Master, it was borrowed. I just think that's amazing. That we, he had turned to the man of God over something like that. That guy, was a, was a, he knew where his faith was. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had faith in that prophet. Yeah. He had faith in his faith. Yeah. That's good. That's good. He was giving him spiritual authority. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You're my authority. You're my spiritual authority. So, so do something about this. Right. And so the prophet said, well, where did it fall? Where fell it? And he showed him the place out there in the river. So he cut down a stick, the prophet did, and threw it in, cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Amen. Say the iron did swim. The iron did swim. That's just a, if you just say that about a thousand times, it'll finally hit you that that's impossible. This is an iron axe head. It was out in the water. It was buried in the muck at the bottom, and it swam out of the muck and swam to the top of the water and then swam over to where he was. Hey, you know it swam over where he was? Because the prophet said to him, he said, uh, he cut down a stick, cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore, he said, take it up to thee, and he put out his hand and took it. So he didn't wait out there in the water looking for it. He just put his hand out and it just swam right up there, so we didn't do it. Now, I've had people, I've preached this message for 100 years, and, and, uh, and I've had people say, oh, but that's a good message on the iron didn't float. I said, oh, no, 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 it didn't float. It swam. It swam. See, our God is a supernatural God. 
And the church has gotten so far away from that thinking. It should be our first thinking. God's supernatural. God does miracles. One message I preach a lot, and I'm not going to go into it. We'll be here. You know, well, I don't have to preach till Sunday mornings. So I guess I got time. But we'll, we'd, we'd be here too long. But but one message I preach a lot. I talk about how the church is desensitized because of Hollywood, because Hollywood does a first class job of what they do, and they have special effects. And so when you're watching a movie or a TV show, uh, impossible things happen, but it's sensational. And it's spectacular. Right. And we watch it and say, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Really, and I was watching some dumb movie just the other day. And cars going down the road and somebody shot a bullet at them. I mean, just out of a pistol. And a whole car blew up. Yeah. We know that doesn't happen. <laughs> and the car blew up, went up in the air, rolled over two or three times, went across the median, landed in this highway over here, and three or four more cars hit it. They all went up in the air. They all turned over. Fireballs everywhere. Cars everywhere. It was sensational. Right. And it was spectacular. Yeah. And that's what we're used to. Right. It does mess you up. Because the church has gotten where they want God to be sensational. And they want God to be spectacular. And he is not only, he's not sensational or spectacular. He's not interested in being. He's miraculous. And he doesn't want your life to be sensational or spectacular. He wants your life to be miraculous. He's the God of miracles. And he doesn't do sensation. He's not interested in proving who he is. I told the Lord one day years and years ago, I was living in Tulsa, and I said, Lord, if you'd let me run this thing, if I were you, good thing I'm not, but if I were you, I'd show Oral, or Roberts, or Brother Hagen, Dad, I'd show them where the Ark of the Covenant is. I know you know where it is. I mean, Indiana Jones found it. Surely you know where it is. <laughs> And, and I said, and, and if you'd show it to Oral or, 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 or Brother Hagen, they could put it at the prayer tower of ORU, and millions of people, maybe billions, would come. And they'd march around. You put a little fence out there, open the lid, there's the Ten Commandments. It's, they're still there. They're still there in the ark. There's the Ten Commandments. There's Aaron's rod that budded. There's the showbread. And people could walk around there and look at it and take pictures and say, God is God. I said, that would be so cool. And the Lord said, no, it wouldn't. He said, it'd be sensational. And it'd be spectacular. And I'm not interested in that. He said, I want my people to believe that I am. And that I'm a rewarder of them that diligently seek me. And I'm not trying to prove to them. He said, I could prove to them who I am. That wouldn't be hard. He could fly Marcus around the room. He could just say, watch this. And I wish he would from time to time. Come on, God, do it, do it, do it. But he's not into sensational or special effects. My grandkids are all like this now, but they used to be like this. In fact, I've, just got, I've got two boys in, in the Air Force, two grandsons in the Air Force, and one of them left yesterday and went to Saudi Arabia. And, uh, and, and so uh, I, I took them deer hunting every year of their life. and took my kids deer hunting every year of their life. and took Renee's kids deer hunting every year of their life. And... Uh, and one day when the boys were little, the grandkids were yay big, we were going through, driving across Texas, going down to where we were going to deer hunt one December. 
And we went in a Cracker Barrel restaurant. Y'all know what Cracker Barrel is? I know California doesn't have very many of them. It's just a chain restaurant, really good home-cooked food. And so I took them in there early in the morning for breakfast. And so we finished breakfast, and we came out to get in the car and go on down to the deer hunting. And as I, as I walked out, there was a, or as I walked up to pay, there was a rack there with CDs on it and DVDs of all these old television shows that I was raised on. I mean, there was Lone Ranger, and there was Lassie, and Rin Tin Tin, and there was Sky King, and there was, you know, Gunsmoke, and I mean, I was raised on that stuff. In fact, I still, Renee can tell you, I still watch Gunsmoke and Wagon Train all the time. Every time I, can, every time I got a chance at night, if I'm not sleeping, I'll just, I'll just pull up Wagon Train or Gunsmoke, you know. And, uh, and, and so I told the boys, I said, guys, y'all are going to love this. Papa, watch this every Saturday. Man, this is so cool. Y'all are going to love this. So we got in the vehicle, you know, and I ripped one open. And I stuck it in the tape machine and, uh, or CD or whatever. And uh, about 15 minutes of watching it, and they said, I'm driving, you know, and they're watching it. And they said, Papa, and I said, what, buddy? Do we have to watch this? <laughs> I said, you don't like that? They said, it's boring. And it hit me. There's no special effects. They're used to... You, you know, when, 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 when the Lone Ranger shot somebody, he always shot the gun out of their hand. Always. Every time. And, and there's never a speck of blood. Never. And when Matt Dillon, that's gun smoke for you that don't know, when Matt Dillon shot somebody, Marshall Dillon of Dodge City, he killed him every time. I never saw him wound anybody. Every time he drew, he killed him. But there's never a speck of blood. Never, 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 never. Well, they're, they're used to Hollywood, when you shoot somebody, brains and blood goes everywhere. Right? It's sensational. It's spectacular. It's special effects. Ooh. And so they thought it was boring. And it dawned on me, that's what Christians think about the miracles in the Bible. Because they're miraculous, but they're not sensational or spectacular. That we just get to thinking, oh well, yeah, God did a miracle. But we're just desensitized to the miraculous because we're trying to make it Hollywood special effects. Are y'all here? I preached this message years ago on the Iron Did Swim in a little church in in Texas, and and Texas is, Texas is got a real thing about Friday night high school football. I mean, Friday night football, it is, that's the deal. And so um, I preached it and, and on Sunday morning in the church, and this young man came up to me, and he said, uh, Brother Terry, I said, yes, sir. He said, I'm on the, I'm on the football team uh, out here at high school. And I said, well, good for you, buddy. That's great. What position are you playing? We talked. And he said, uh, he said, that's the greatest message I've ever heard in my life. He said, I'm going to go preach that to, my, to my, my team. I said, great. I didn't think much about it. Well, I was back there several months later, Sophie, and he, he came to me and he said, Dr. Myers, I said, I said hey, bud, how's, how's it going? And he said, he said, I went back and preached the Iron Did Swim to all my buddies. He said, and we wrote it on our fingers. We put, the Iron Did Swim, the Iron Did Swim. And he said, then when we got down our football stance, and the guy across from us looked at it and looked at our fingers and said, the Iron Did Swim, what does that mean? He said, we'll have to show you. And he said, he said, we won every game went to state. Wow. Just because they got a hold of it. Wow. That it's supernatural. The iron did swim. It can't swim. 
It's impossible. It defies all the laws of nature, all the laws of gravity. It, it defies everything, but it did. You know, I'm a pilot, and I love pilot stuff and air, uh, aviation and aerodynamics and all the laws of that. And, and so all the scientists in the world, the greatest minds in the world, the greatest aviation scientists, the greatest aerodynamic, they, they'll tell you flat out, a bumblebee can't fly. It's impossible. It's absolutely, they can prove it to you on paper. I mean, they've got it on paper to prove a bumblebee can't fly. His body's too big, his wings are too small. It can't happen. A bumblebee cannot fly. But how many of y'all know they do? And if you were to ask a bumblebee, say, excuse me, Mr. Bumblebee, how is it that, that, that all the scientists and the greatest minds in the world say you can't fly, your body's too big, your wings are too small, it defies all the laws of aviation, aerodynamics, how, how do you fly? He'd just smile and say, because God. You see, to me, by Terry Miser's definition, the definition, the definition of a miracle is because God. Because if you can explain it, it's not a miracle. If you can explain it, then it may be sensational, it may be spectacular, and it may be cool, and it may be good, but it's not a miracle. I remember in 1969, I was 19 years old, and I was youth leader at our church, and we put a man on the moon. Boy, they came running to me and said, Brother Terry, Brother Terry, Brother Terry, we put a man on the moon. It's a, it's a miracle. I said, oh, no, it's not a miracle. I said, it's sensational. And it's spectacular. And I think it's really cool, and I'm glad we did it. Yeah. But, but it's not a miracle. We know how we did it. Right. And we can do it again. Right. Amen. Right. I said, it just took an expenditure of a few billion dollars. And it took some intestinal fortitude, some guts of some men and women that get in that bird and fly it to the moon and get out and get in a Jeep and drive around, pick up some rocks and bring them home. That's all great. That's cool. But we know how we did it. And we can do it again. In fact, just a week or so ago, India actually sent a rocket to the moon. They're going to the dark side of the moon. And they're going to drive around in a Jeep. You know, only three countries have done it. America, Russia, and China. Now India's doing it. They know how to do it. It's not a miracle. It, it, it's math and science and money, 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 money. Right? But it's not a miracle. My kids used to run to me and say, Daddy, Daddy, we got our homework done. It's a miracle. I said, no, it's not a miracle. It's sensational and it's spectacular and I'm proud of you. But uh, it's not a miracle. You know how you did it and you can do it again. Now, you may wonder why I'd preach you a simple little message like this, but this simple little phrase, the iron did swim. There's no way I could over-exaggerate to you all how many thousand times I have looked the devil in the eye around the world in crisis situations, in emergency situations, in dangerous situations, when he said, I'll get you this time. You won't get away this time. This time I'll get you. This time I'll get your wife. This time I'll get your kids. This time I'll get your money. This time I'll destroy the ministry. This time, this time, this time, this time. I'm going to get you, get you, get you, get you. And I just look at him and say, up. The iron did swim. You couldn't even stop an iron axe head from swimming. That just demoralizes him. Hey, devil, the iron did swim. You couldn't stop that? You couldn't stop that? You couldn't go in the bottom of the river and sit on it and hold it down? You, you couldn't stop it? And you think you're going to get me? I've done that. I couldn't tell you how many times I've done it. I couldn't tell you how many times I've yelled at him. The iron did swim. 
So stick that in your pipe and smoke it. The iron did swim. Lazarus came out of the grave after four days. You couldn't even stop a dead man. Four days dead. And you couldn't keep him in the grave. Two to three million Hebrews walked across the, the, walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. What do you mean you're going to get me? You couldn't even keep... They walked over on dry ground. And then Pharaoh and thousands of soldiers and what, 6,000 chariots was it? I have to go back and look it up again. Chased them into the Red Sea and the angels took the wheels off the chariots. Where were you? And then Moses held his rod out and the sea came back and killed them all. Pharaoh's entire army, including himself, was drowned in the Dead Sea. I mean the Red Sea, excuse me. They're dead. And they turned it red. And you couldn't even stop it. The iron did swim. The, the, the sea ceased from her raging. The Jordan River stood up on itself and Joshua and the, and the Hebrews walked across on dry ground. You want to talk to me about this? I got, I got, I got several for you. The sun stood still. I mean, five enemy kings had attacked Joshua. Their five armies attacked his one army. And the Bible says the angels started throwing hailstones at the bad guys. Joshua chapter 10, if you want to read it. And it says that more of the enemy died from the hailstones than died from the war. Man, those angels are winding up and throwing some spitballs and fastballs and curveballs and... And it is interesting, it was the bad guys that got hit. This wasn't normal hailstone to hit everybody. No, no. Angels were hitting the bad guys. More of the enemy, the Bible said. Joshua 10, more of the enemy died from the hailstones than died from the war. You couldn't even stop that, devil. The iron did swim. Joshua said, Son, hold your place over Gibeon, and thou moving over the battle of Agilon. And sun stopped, and time stopped for 24 hours. And later, the prophet looked at the sun and said, Back up 10 minutes. It backed up 10 minutes. And NASA later had to put that into their space shots. It's proven and written in, his, in scientific journals. They had to include that 24 hours plus 10 minutes to make their space shots work. Because they weren't working. And finally, some Christians said, You know, maybe you ought to include... 10 minutes and 24 hours and see what happens. Because the two prophets backed up, two men of God backed up the sun for 24 hours and 10 minutes. Two to three million Jews got water out of a rock. They're out there in the desert, thirsty, they're going to die, and God said, hit the rock, Moses hit the rock, and here comes the water. That, to feed three million Jews, really? Out of a rock? That's supernatural. Where'd the quail and toast come from? The quail and manna come from? 
Quail on toast is pretty expensive these days. And God gave them quail to eat and manna to eat. Manna for 40 years. They were complaining and griping, said, we, we're so hungry, we hadn't even had any meat. And I think this is hilarious. They said, we even missed the cucumbers from Egypt. You missing a cucumber? And it ticked God off. And he said, all right, you want some meat? Go back and read it. It's hilarious. He said, you want some meat? I'll give you meat. He said, I will give you quail, not for a day. Oh, not for two days. Oh, not for five days. Not for ten days. I'm going to give you quail until it's coming out your nose, he said. Until you don't ever want to see a quail again. And the Bible says the quail came out of the sea. I'm a quail hunter. Quail don't come out of sea. I go out there in the bushes with my shotgun, sometimes with a dog and sometimes without one. And I'll go, if I, don't, if I got a dog, he'll bust the quail. If I'm by myself, I'll kick around, you know, kick the bushes. And, and I mean, a covey will jump, you know, maybe 10 or 12 or 15 or 3 or 5. I've never seen this many quail. The Bible says that the quail were a cubit, were two cubits deep. A cubit's a foot and a half, so that's what, three feet? Two cubits, two times foot and a half, three feet. It said it's three feet deep, and they were an hour's journey that way. No, excuse me, a day's journey that way, and a day's journey that way. So they had quail three feet deep as far as you could walk in two days. That's a lot of quail. Now, I've cleaned my fair share of quail. I wouldn't want to be defeathering and gutting that many quail. That's a lot of quail. But that's supernatural. He said, we don't even think anything about it. We think, oh yeah, God gave him quail on toast. Hey, that's better than Hollywood. God gave him quail on man. Yeah, he gave it three feet deep and, two, and a whole two days journey. He's a supernatural God. Jesus cursed the fig tree, devil. You couldn't even keep a fig tree from dying. Jesus cursed it and it dried up from its roots. Jonah was in the belly of the whale. You couldn't even kill him. You couldn't even get the whale to digest him. The whale was at the bottom of the ocean. The Bible says he's at the bottom of the ocean. In the belly of the whale. With seaweed wrapped around his head. And he made this statement. He said salvation is of the Lord. I couldn't tell y'all how many thousands of times over 55 years I have screamed around the world in serious situations, Salvation is of the Lord! Yeah. I've done it in public. had people look at me like I'm a madman. But I don't care what they think. I need God to move. Yeah. Salvation is of the Lord! God's about to move here! Y'all can't fix this situation? Well, I can. I know my God and salvations of the Lord. And I'm going to speak and He's going to move. And we're going to get a miracle. And sure enough. Sure enough. And Jonah said salvations of the Lord. And when he did, God poked that whale and it took him to the top of the ocean. What if he had spit him out the bottom? He'd still be in trouble. No, he took him to the top of the ocean. What if he'd spit him out there? Still be in trouble. Took him over to the right shore. Could have taken him to the wrong shore. Took him to the right shore. Because he needed to go to Nineveh. And the Bible says, and Joshua said, he vomited him out. I've had people say, hey, brother, tell you, I wouldn't want to be vomited. That's better than digested. That old prophet hit the ground running. He may not even have washed up. He just took off for Nineveh. 
But I said, devil, you couldn't even kill, you couldn't even kill Jonah. He didn't even have the name of Jesus. He wasn't even born again. He didn't have the Holy Ghost. And you still couldn't kill him. And you think you're going to get me? The iron did swim. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? See, the king liked these guys. You go read Daniel 3. The king liked Nebuchadnezzar liked them. He was not mad at them. He liked them. He'd put them in charge of several things in the government. But some bad guys got the king to make a decree that if you, uh, we're going to build an idol, and if you don't bow down and worship it, you're going to go in the burning fiery furnace. And so uh, they did. They built the idol, and they played the music, and the whole nation bowed on their face except three guys. When you're only three guys standing out of everybody else, you get caught. And so they got caught, and they got brought to the king. You ought to read that in Daniel. The church has preached this wrong for so many years. The church has preached it. I've learned it in Sunday school. I've learned it. I, I, the church has just preached it wrong and wrong. I, I was driving in Tulsa one day and on the radio. And some, TV, some radio preacher was saying, I tell you, those boys love God so much. They just said, King, we, 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 we love God so much. If he kills us, if he burns us, we're, we're just going to burn for Jesus. And I'm yelling at the radio. He didn't say that. They didn't say that. They had no intention to burn him. And so the king said to him, he said, guys, uh, we're going to give you a second chance. Y'all read Daniel 3. King's not mad. He just said, maybe y'all misunderstood because he likes these guys. He said, so we're going to do this again just for you. We're going to play the music all over again. And, uh, and, and now you guys bow down and everything will be cool. Yeah. And he said, but then if you don't, then there's nothing I can do about it. I've already made the decree. You, you're going to go into burning fire furnace. And so the boys answered him. They said, O king, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. In other words, we're not going to mince words with you here. Because he made this last statement. When he finished talking to him, he made one little statement that's the key to that whole thing. He said, you're going to go in the burning fiery furnace? He said, and question, who is that God that can deliver you out of my hand? That's the key right there. And who is that God? They can deliver you out of my hand. Well, God said, hey, it's my specialty. And they said, oh, king, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. And so they answered the question. They said, they said, our God, this is the answer to your question. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us out of thine hand. And he will, oh, king. Now put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's what made the king mad. The Bible says he got so mad that his face changed. The visage of his face was changed. He didn't even look normal anymore. He was so angry. Because they had slapped him in the face with that answer. He said, what God's able to deliver you? And they said, our God. Our God. You want to know what God can deliver you? Our God. Do we serve? He's not only able to deliver us, he will. We're not burning. We're not bowing. We're not bending. We're not burning either. That's when he said, I'll make it seven times harder. Well, what does that mean? So what? You did it one hot. The seven times was nothing but a fear tactic, which he uses on you every day. You'll go in the burning fiery furnace. We're not going to bow. Well, then I'll make it twice as hot. 
Well, we're still not going to bow. Well, then I'll make it three times as hard. We're still not going to bow. Well, then I'll make it five times as hard. We're still not going to bow. Seven times harder. We don't care. We're still not going to bow. He was so mad. So they tied him up, threw him in there. It was so hot that it killed the guys that took him up there to, the, to, to, to throw him in. And they just walked around in there and had a good time. An angel joined them. Ropes burned off. The king said to the guys around him, he said, didn't we throw three guys in there? And they said, yeah, king. And he said, well, I see four. And one is like another son of God. Well, he wouldn't know what the son of God looked like. He's just saying, whoever that guy in there, he's a bad dude. He must be God's boy. Right? He didn't know anything about the son of God. And so he goes over to, and he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come forth and come hither. So they come strolling out. They're not burned. Their clothes aren't burned. They're not on fire. They're not smoking. They're not, the, the, the ropes are gone. They don't even smell like smoke. Their hair's not even singed. Their eyebrows, they still got their eyebrows. Yeah. And he said, your God has changed the king's word. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. Your God has changed the king's word. Well, see, your God can do the same thing. Yeah. Who are you dealing with? The government? The governor? The IRS? The sheriff? The judge? Prison system? You ought to go read Daniel a few times. Your God has changed the king's word. And so the king turned around and he said, I make a decree that from this day forward, anybody that says anything bad about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'll make their house a dunghill. And he promoted those three boys in the province of Babylon. The iron did swim. You couldn't even kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fire that's seven times hotter than it ought to be? And you still couldn't kill them? Well, you're out of your ever-loving mind, devil. You're just out of your mind. You're not getting me. You're not getting my kids. You're not getting my house. You're not getting my husband. You're not getting my wife. You're not getting my money. Told, I told the devil before, I said, hey, it was prophesied there's going to be a star in the east when Jesus was born. You couldn't even make it cloudy to cover the star up. You knew it was coming. You saw it before anybody. And you couldn't even cover it up. You couldn't even work up some clouds. What about Aaron's rod that budded? What about the earthquakes and the jailbreaks? You couldn't even keep Peter in jail. An angel walked in, kicked him in the side and said, Get up. Let's get out of here. Earthquake came and got Paul and Silas out of jail. I mean, you know, I just tell the de- I just enjoy tormenting the devil. So I've told the devil, I said, by the way, in the future it says the the, the sun's going to refuse to shine. I just want to give you notice right now, you're not even going to be able to stop that. The moon's going to turn to blood. You can't do anything about that. Just, just, just go ahead and write it down. Yeah. What about Korah and all his thousands of followers that came to Moses and said, Hey, you're not the only man of God around here. We're anointed too. We're, we're men of God. You ought to read that sometimes in Numbers chapter 16. Moses said this to him. He said, he said to the whole crowd, three million Jews. He said, these guys are going to die. 
Because they're not the men of God. I'm the man of God. Yeah. And not only are they going to die normal. You ought to read that. It's hilarious. He said, because he said, if they died normal, just like any other man, you'd just think it was normal death. Yeah. And he said, if they just die normal, just death visits them like it does anybody else, he said, then I'm not a man of God. That's what Moses said to all those folks. He said, if these guys just keep on living and then they get cancer and get the, 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 the this and the that and the other and die off here and one at a time, once in a while. He said, I'm not a man of God. He said, no, they're going to die right now. Supernaturally. And then you'll know that they're not a man of God and I am. And, and the ground opened up and swallowed them all. I mean, opened up, they all went in, it closed up, they're dead. And all their family and their houses and everything that pertained to them sucked it down. And Moses said, See y'all at church in the morning. Right? The devil couldn't even stop that. I said, Devil, what about when Elijah when Elijah said it wouldn't rain for three and a half years? You couldn't even make it rain. And what about when he said in the middle of the drought, okay, it's going to rain. You couldn't stop it? Yeah. See, see, I'm going to have to quit. I know it's 9.15. You know, a few months back I saw some of these people on TV. And I remember, I remember Nancy Pelosi in particular. I know there's a lot of others, but I remember her pathetic little thing. Where she just put her hand up here and she said, we, We've got to save the planet. We, we've made Mother Nature angry at us. Mother Earth is angry. Well, what do I care? We don't have a Mother Earth. We don't have a Mother Nature. We've got a Father God. See, some fools think that man can destroy the planet. And other fools think man can save it. And they're both wrong. Man can't destroy it. It's God's. And man can't save it. Now, God's going to destroy it one of these days. The, the Bible tells us he's going to destroy the whole thing, wipe it out, and build it back better. And nobody can do anything about that either. And the devil can't do anything about that either. I'm told the devil, said, hey, God set a bush on fire, so, so Moses said, come see what's going on. You couldn't even put the fire out. You couldn't even put the fire out. You couldn't stop a bush from burning and not being consumed. You're probably over there going... And it just kept burning, it just kept burning, just kept burning. So Moses turned aside to see why. Amen. See, sometimes the bush is burning and we're not smart enough to turn aside and see why. God does miraculous stuff. You ought, you ought to give a pause for a minute and say, I wonder why God's doing that. Lord, you trying to tell me something? What about Philip was out in the desert preaching to a eunuch, baptized him in water, and then it says, and then Philip was found at Azotus. What? He was found at Azotus? How did he get there? Beam me up, Scotty. You know, he was, we Christians say he was translated. Science fiction would say he was teleported. Right? That's supernatural. That's miraculous. 
The Bible says in John chapter 6 that Jesus walked over and got in a boat with the boys. And, and it made a specific point to tell you there was no wind. I think that's really cool that John 6 makes a point of telling you there was no wind. Why did it tell you that? Because that's a wind-driven vehicle. So since there's no wind, it can't go anywhere. And it says, when Je- Marcus, it says, when Jesus got in the boat with them, it says, immediately the boat was at the other side where we intended to go. What do you mean immediately it was there? There's no wind. How'd it get there? Devil, you couldn't even stop a wind-driven boat by, with, with no wind? And you couldn't keep it from getting where it was going? That looks like it ought to be a pretty simple thing. What about the spotted goats? The street? Well, I got to quit. There's, I, I could just go on and on and on and on. Y'all got a Bible? I mean, you can just go on and on and on. But see, we, we need to stop and think about these miracles instead of passing by them and saying, oh yeah, Elijah called down fire from heaven and burned the sacrifice. Wait, wait a minute, that wasn't just a little lightning bolt. I mean, it was fire from heaven. Amen. And, and Elijah had said, let's just prove whose God is God. He said, why halt you between two opinions? You say Baal's God, I say Jehovah's God. Let's just prove it today. King Ahab, who the Bible says is the worst there ever was, the only person worse than Ahab was his wife Jezebel. It says there's never been a person that sold his soul to the, like the, to the, to the devil like Ahab had. And so I don't know why Ahab agreed to it, but Elijah said, let's prove it, let's get a sacrifice and put it out here and we'll call fire down from heaven and we'll see whose God is God. And for some reason, Ahab agreed to it. So he said, go get those 450 prophets of, the, of, of Baal, Satanist, demon-possessed Satanist, and go get those other 400 prophets of the groves that eat at your wife's table every day. She's feeding all these clowns. He said, bring them in here. Let them call fire down from their God. And, and if he does, I'll convert. I'll, I'll accept Baal. But nothing's going to happen because he's dead. So when they get through, I'll call fire down from heaven from my God, Jehovah. And then y'all need to all serve God. And so you know the story. They couldn't. He made fun of them. Your God must be on vacation. He must be asleep. Yell louder. They cut themselves, ripped their clothes. Finally, they got, they quit. And he said, okay. He filled it all up with water, poured water everywhere, dug a trench, filled it with water. And he called on his God, and fire came and consumed the altar, the sacrifice, the altar, the, the ground, the water, dried it all up. And then that prophet, Mitch, that prophet takes a sword and kills 850. Now that's supernatural. You think they just stood there while he's doing it? I mean, that's supernatural. He absolutely took a sword and killed all those people. Like Samson with the jawbone of a donkey killed a thousand guys. They, you think they just stood there while he went over and hit them all on the head? No, that's supernatural. The devil can't stop that. And so when he did that, Ahab grabbed the phone, called Jezebel, and told him what, told her what happened. So she sent Ahab a tweet. I mean, she sent Elijah a tweet. It's her last tweet. Jezebel's last tweet. And she said, because of what you've done, you've killed my 850 prophets that eat at my table. She said, you're a dead man. And by this time tomorrow, it's her last tweet, by this time tomorrow, 24 hours, 
If you're not dead, then so may God do to me what you just did to them. She opened it up. So Jehu rode into town in his chariot. The Bible says, 2 Kings chapter 9, she heard that he was coming. So it says she painted her face and she plaited her hair and she got all pretty and she went to the window and opened the window so she could watch him ride into town. And he rode into town and there she is up in the window looking at him. And there's a soldier up there with her. So Jehu says, throw that woman out the window. That soldier just grabs her and just throws the queen out the window. The Bible says she fell and splatted, splattered blood on, on Jehu's horses and on the building. Chapter 9, 2 Kings. And so then he just ran over with his horses and chariots. Left her in the street went in and ate dinner. And while he's eating dinner, he said, uh, that woman is the daughter of a king, guys. I guess you ought to go bury her. And they said, yes, sir. And they went out to get her and they came back to uh, king. There's nothing left to bury. All that's left is her hands and the soles of her feet and her skull. Which is what Elijah the prophet had prophesied to Ahab and said, you're a dead man. You killed, you killed Naboth and because of what you've done, the same dogs that lick Naboth's blood is going to lick your blood. And your wife, the dogs are going to eat her and there won't be anything left to bury him that may even recognize her. That's exactly what happened. Somebody shot an arrow and shot Ahab and he bled out in his chariot. And some military guy said to a corporal, take, take the king's chariot down at the water and wash his blood out. So they did it and here come those dogs and licked that blood up. And then when Jezebel was thrown out the window and the dogs ate her. So devil, you couldn't even stop that. The iron did swim. I've given you a little key tonight to whip the devil with. If you'll just say that when the devil comes around. Hey, the iron did swim. The iron. Now I suggest you use the name of Jesus and a few other little choice things. But, but I have told him that so many times. Come on, man. The iron did swim. You couldn't even stop that. Amen. Well, I encourage y'all. I encourage y'all, man, y'all been beat up, you've been threatened, you've been done all kind of stuff with California and the government and the, 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 you know, and the communists are trying to take over, the communists are trying to, I mean, our own country attacked the church three years ago. Who would have ever thought that? But you know what, we're not going to bow, and we're not going to bend, but we're not going to burn. I don't care how hot they make the furnace. Amen. Because the iron did swim. And we have a supernatural God. Not just spectacular. Not just sensational. And we're going to look at miracles in the Bible from a whole different light. And see that they really are miracles. They really are supernatural. They weren't just a little thing we read and pass over and say, Oh, that's cute. God gave them quail to eat. No, no, no. He gave them two days walking worth of quail three feet deep. They came out of the sea. What do you mean they came out of the sea? There's just no end to this. I mean, just miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. What about Peter being a professional fisherman? He's fished all night and there's no fish. And Jesus says, go out there and let your net down. And he said, well, there's no fish out there and you don't know what you're talking about. I'm a professional fisherman. But nevertheless, at your word, I will. 
And he goes out there, and I mean, it's a net breaking, boat sinking load of fish. So he calls his partner, they bring their boat, and it's a net breaking, load, boat sinking load of fish. Now remember, they're professional fishermen, so this is money in their pocket. I was talking to my good friend Rick Renner here a while back, a few months back. We were at lunch, didn't breakfast together, and we were talking about some of these things. And he said, Terry, you know they still have the, the, in the museum in Israel, he said they still have the plans for those boats, and they still make them the same way today they did 2,000 years ago. So we know exactly what size Peter's boat was. We know exactly, because they're exactly the same size today. He said, and we know exactly how much weight they'll carry. They'll, each boat will carry 6,000 pounds before it sinks. So if two boats got full of fish and sank, how many pounds of fish is that? 12,000 pounds of fish for a commercial fisherman to sell? Well, yeah. Where'd those fish come from? They didn't come out of there because they weren't there. It's supernatural. Well, y'all stand up with me. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll hush. I said that many years ago in my... Oldest son was sitting next to my wife, and he said, Mom, if I'd known that, I'd have stood up a long time ago. <laughs> Let me just say this to you. I brought this. Uh, we didn't bring any products and stuff, um, but uh, we do have a humanitarian aid organization we call Jackie Mines International Children's Foundation, and y'all have helped us with that, and you guys have helped us with it. And uh, this last year, this is our Christmas report from this last year because we took up money for orphans and, and stuff. And so this is a report, if y'all want to just go online to orphan1.com or terrymize.com, either one, it'll tell you at Christmas time, the numbers are going way up since then, but just at last Christmas, we, we helped 26 countries, 35 orphanages. Uh, we did two, two women's clinics. We dug a water well in Zimbabwe. We bought, a, we bought this nice van for uh, P, uh, pastors in Ukraine. We bought a tractor and a plow for Zimbabwe, Africa, for an orphanage to, be, to grow their own food, uh, nine feeding programs, to human trafficking relief center. Listen, this human trafficking stuff is bad. Yes. And it's got to stop. Yes. If y'all haven't seen the movie Sound of Freedom, you, you ought to go see it. Uh, but it's, 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 a bad, it's a bad deal. There are kids that they're stealing. Uh, and you watch your kids and plead the blood of Jesus on them. Amen. And three housing projects and 15 humanitarian projects and 10 widows projects. We put roofs on widows' houses and helped the widows. And that was just at Christmas time. We've done a lot more since then. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, you can go just orphan1.com and you can see, get a copy of this if you want uh, because churches do help us, help us do that. And so uh, we're excited about that. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you again for the service tonight. Thank you that they'd come out on a Friday night. And thank you, Father, for this church and this pastor, these other pastors that have come, their churches, their people cause this word tonight to bless each one of these churches each one of these ministries to bless the people, to minister to the people that the people will stand up strong and declare the iron did swim that we don't back down, we don't sit down, we don't shut up we are Christians, Christ like ones imitators of King Jesus and we're not in fear, fear and faith don't live in the same house and we're people of faith and we thank you for it and give you glory and honor and praise, majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen. If y'all are loose on Monday night and Tuesday night, don't come Sunday, unless you don't have Sunday night service. We're doing the Sunday night service as well. If you don't have Sunday night service, you're welcome. But don't leave your own church to, to, to be there Sunday morning. Uh, but we're, pastors asked me to speak on spiritual authority. 
So we're going to talk about some real serious stuff about spiritual authority. So you're welcome to come. We'd, we'd love to have you in Visalia at Covenant of Peace. And uh, you can look that up in the sort of yellow pages. You can look that up on the internet and find out where that is. So. Covenant of Peace International. And it's on what street? Copywestcoast.org. Copywestcoast.org. Copy Covenant of Peace, C-O-P-I. Copywestcoast.org. And so uh, Renee and I'll be there through Tuesday night, and then we're going to Texas, and uh, then Florida the next Sunday. So anyway, praise the Lord. We love y'all, Pastor. Thank you. It's been a delight to see you guys. Like I said, we go back a long way. I'm proud of you, and uh, appreciate what you guys are doing, and and this young lady as well. So uh, come on, rescue the folks. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. Aren't, wasn't that good? Come on, let's, let's uh, get ready. You all may be seated. Uh, let's open our Bibles over here to 1 Timothy 5.17. First Timothy, this was, this was the best mic. Got to, got to make a mental note of that. Lord have mercy. Great word. How many of you... That is a very prophetic word for this church. The axe head did swim. Iron sharpens iron. There's some of us that that need God's miraculous on our lives. Amen. Over here in 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. When we come to church, let's let's not come light-handed. I mean, let's come b- gifts a-blazing. Um, let's not be stingy, tight-fisted, but liberal givers. I mean, I, I am so so blessed that that Doctor Mize got to deliver that word here to this church this um, this evening. Because I really believe that there are some things that we're getting, well, God is preparing us and we are stepping in. And how many of you know sometimes those footsteps and those steps along the way and, and sometimes things look like they're sinking a certain way and you're like, um, but it's, but we're swimming, but we're swimming. It doesn't matter what some of the things you're facing, you're going to get over it. You're going to get on top of it. I'm really interested, uh, Kopi. West Coast, Kopi West Coast. Um, I'm gonna. We're gonna make sure that we put a link on 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 the the teaching saying where he's gonna be at, so that way people can find it. I know it's gonna be online in case some of you can't make it physically, but um, it, it is important to get under good teaching. Um, it's very important that uh, this message was taught here today, because we're gonna get. Oh my goodness! Praise the Lord. So good. So good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you got, Sister Renee? What do you got? I know, but you got something. Lord told me you had something. The miraculous is for the end time. It isn't just Old Testament or the Bible. 
It's for the saints to use in the last days. And if we're not walking in the miraculous, we're missing out on the whole purpose for the infilling of the power. And so the Holy Ghost wants you to just step out there and start believing God for things you cannot see. Things you cannot believe, you have not seen. And just bug your eyes out real big to say, I'm seeing it in the spirit and I'm going to have it in the natural. And so the Holy Ghost would say, don't step back, step forward. Don't pull back, pull forward, move forward, buy a new pair of tennis shoes, get ready to run with me because I'm going to take you to places in the realm of the supernatural you've not seen yet. You've, you've been almost fearful to believe me for, but if you'll step out and believe me and begin to fan the flames of the miraculous in your own personal life, you will see me work on your behalf. Expect me to show up. Expect it to change. Believe that I will do it for you like I did it for anybody else. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Talk to your body. Talk to your body like never before. Begin to command your body to do things that you didn't think you could do. Don't say I can't, say I can. Don't say I feel bad, say I feel healed. Say, begin to say what my word says about your mind, about your body, about yourself, about your future. If you don't use my word for yourself, you're missing out. It's not just for what's out there, it's for what's right here. Begin to move in the realm of the miraculous for your own self. In Jesus' name.